Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg, and welcome to the 34th. Let me just quickly ask you a question. So are you, you're with Movement for People's Party? Yeah. So you guys have recently endorsed the other candidate, David Kim, who's running against Jimmy Gomez in this race in CD34. Um, what kind of a shot do you think he has to win? Because we saw a Green Party candidate run in the last cycle who did actually fairly well, had about 30% of the vote against Jimmy. And although Jimmy comes out and says he's a progressive, he does have a history of taking money from corporate donors. He's not as bad as some of the other guys, but he isn't... I wouldn't call him a, a true progressive. What are your thoughts on that? Well, uh, and, and David, who was here with us last last a uh, couple of weeks ago when we when we had this event here, um, David is honestly a true progressive, very grassroots, representing the people. That so he wants to get in in, in office in Congress so that he can do what he does, um, what he does locally, so he can do that nationally for this district. Um, as far as his chances, I don't know. I, I, gosh, I'm trying to remember what his um, actual. I know that um, he has a 60% approval as far as the people that um, they've contacted. Now, whether they contacted enough people to cover 60% across the whole district, I don't know. But out of the people that did contact, that, that they did contact, he has a 66% uh, approval from, the, from those countries. Hi, I'm Tina Desiree Berg. And this week on the podcast, my very special guest is Mark Nixon. He is the state chair of the Washington State People's Party. And I have him on the show today, not only to discuss how you go about forming a third party in the United States, the logistics involved, um, you know, all the hills you have to climb, but also why it's important and what they're working on currently. So welcome, Mark. Thank you. Thank you, Tina. It's a pleasure to talk with you today. So right off the top, I wanted to ask you, I believe that you guys are separated from the National People's Party at this point and doing your own thing. Is that correct? That, that is correct. That is correct. We've uh, had some tension with uh, the movement for a people's party for, for a while. And uh, our state voted at the end of January to uh, leave their national organizing committee and uh, separate completely from their uh, entity. Okay, so now let's talk about what's going on in Washington State, because I, I think it's very interesting that you have successfully been able to put yourselves um, as an official state party which is a hard thing to achieve. Uh, you know, really, I think the only sort of leftist leading other third party out there is the Green Party. And they have been uh, struggling for years to maintain ballot, uh, to be, be able to stay constantly on the ballot, which re requires getting petitions signed and access and what have you. Um, so talk us through a little bit about what that entails and uh, some of the, the challenges you faced and overcome. <laughs> All right. Um you know, I want to keep this focused focused really on our work and not on our previous organization. Yeah, 100%. Um, uh, uh, however, we were really lucky in Washington State. Washington is really the Wild West as far as uh, political committees go. And a lot of people, and I think this is pretty broad in the U.S. Uh, overall, but specifically from people who came out of the the... the out of MPP, uh, they do a lot of conflating 
about what a party does versus what like an activist organization does. Right. Um, right. So, uh, uh, so a lot of our challenge was like overcoming that uh, because in Washington, Right. It's really uh, I think you have a jungle primary there in California. as well. Yeah, we do. We have a a semi open primary system. They do call it that. Uh, You know, we had actually voted to have a completely open primary system, but both state parties, the California Democratic Party and the Republican Party weren't okay with that, obviously, because they want to maintain power in the state. So now we have what we call a semi open, meaning that um, candidates that are like, for example, independent you have to ask for a crossover ballot if you're a registered Democrat in the state um, or if you're a registered independent and no party preference in the state, you can get a Democratic ballot. That's not the case with the Republican Party. Uh, you cannot vote in the Republican Party primary unless you're a member of the Republican Party. So so both parties got involved in our uh, and are trying to get an open primary system in the state. And, and we ended up with something sort of in between. Uh, so that's kind of where we're at. I actually think that open primaries are a good thing. I think it uh, increases democracy when you have more options and people have to like compete for votes. But, you know, obviously the two parties that are the main parties in this country don't see it that way. They want to maintain power. Right, right. Yes. So, so some of the issue has always been i think and, and this was i didn't it was a learning process for me when i joined is learning what a party actually is right mm-hmm. and 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 it's a complex definition which is why uh mpp so successfully conflates things because there is two general categories how your state defines a party and how the federal elections commission defines a party, mm-hmm. right, right. And, and within those two broad categories there's there's again often a couple of classes like states may have recognized bodies and they may have political committees and they may have minor parties and major parties or some category of those. And, uh, and the FEC has state parties and national parties as categories, right? So within Washington, we are currently at the point where we fall within the category of a state, a minor state party. Okay. Uh, so that is uh, the only way you can get a major state party in Washington state is to get 5% in the presidential election. The, the, That's the right. parties that achieved 5% in the previous presidential election are the, are the major parties in Washington state. And they have a much larger set of rules that they have to fall under. When you're a minor party in Washington state, it's a, it's a very easy threshold. Um, and ballot access here is essentially a free-for-all, and I'll talk about that in just a second. <laughs> <laughs> Is it really? I mean, because um, we should, it's different from state to state. Obviously, the federal elections is, uh, committee is one thing, but each state has its own, uh, you know, set of rules that you have to follow as well. It, it, they absolutely do, and I have, because uh, uh, we started learning how to build our state party, and then we started reaching out, and, and our former organization actually threw me out for spreading misinformation, which they defined as in talking to other states, like I kept organizing their states and teaching them how to become recognized parties in their state. And that, mm-hmm. that's really what I was thrown out for. Um, that's so kind of crazy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, that's kind of crazy. I mean, isn't the whole point to educate each other when you're in an activist group? That's 
You would hmm. you would think so, and you know I've developed my own opinions about that former group, and I don't think they are actually have the intention to form a party. I don't okay. think that's their goal, um, and and I don't think it has been uh, 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 just based on their actions over the last couple of years. But okay. that's irrelevant because they did recruit hundreds of activists and organizers, mm -hmm. and they succeeded in keeping them siloed for a while and keeping them sort of. Uh, 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 keeping them down, keeping them smeared for a while, but you can only do that so many times and then people find each other. <laughs> and, right. so and people find each other. That's right. And you guys have been successful there in the state of Washington. I know, um, and I do want to hear more about this. I know they tried to do that in California and they were having a really difficult time. It's not an easy achievement. So you should be patting yourselves on the back. Well, uh, thank you. Thank you. I mean, I'm, I'm just, but I also want to recognize that a lot of states have it hard, right? So, because in Washington, we, uh, I mean, we've, we've had to build an organization and we had to come up with our, with our own uh, idea about, you know, as far as actually filing, we had to write bylaws and write a charter. Um, but ballot access is relatively easy for us, which okay. is lucky because it, it has allowed us to learn the steps needed to reach the, the, the state before party. Because every, every state is a little different. Ultimately, a party is just a fundraising organization that is nonprofit because it gets candidates on the ballot, you know, as far as the feds are concerned. So um, no one in the People's Party movement writ large qualifies as a party as far as the feds are concerned yet. Okay. But Washington intends to run several people this summer in the primaries. And so we are hopeful. But no one has federal recognition as a party. There's five or six states that have uh, five to seven, five to seven uh, nonprofit status, and they're recognized by the IRS as political committees that are intending to get candidates on that. And that's okay. where Washington falls, and that's where uh, North Carolina was just recognized that uh, yesterday or day before yesterday. People's Party of Texas is recognized that way. Um, I believe People's Party of Missouri is recognized that way. Uh, New York is preparing to, though I believe they're plan, they're discussing changing their name before they do that. Um, okay. Uh, so is there think, any intention of there being eventually a, a federal uniformed People's Party then? Or is everybody kind of spread out doing their own thing in each state? The answer is both. I'm a big guy. You know, my, my team in Washington made me a shirt once that says, yes, and on the back. <laughs> That's fair. Um, uh, yeah, because it's, it's sort of my, you know, I'm a big believer that we, uh, if we want to be successful challenging the establishment, it's not going to be about big celebrity names. It's not going to be about finding some big name candidate and starting from the top down. I believe that all successful change starts local, that any, any political third, third party political movement that's going to be successful is going to need a number of active volunteers. And, and, and I'm shooting for like 50 in every voting precinct in the country. And right. once we have that sort of a network, then we can get a third party elected. Then we can, have a general strike and sustain it. Then we can provide radical self-care for our communities the way we need to change the system 
is to have that network in place. So I'm really about building that network. And right, uh, right. <clears throat> so it's, it's all got to be local. So yes, there is absolutely a plan for a national party eventually. Uh, we're actually forming a circle of those states that have legal recognition and a vested interest in the People's Party name right now so they can discuss what we have in common. Um, okay. Because there's a couple of different potential tracks to being a national party, right? But, um, but it looks like the fastest and easiest track is if we can get five or six states that can have those political committees with a federal accounts who are working with each other, spending money on each other's states to get federal candidates on the ballot. Okay. Then those states come together in confederation. And once they all successfully get someone on the ballot, they are, then form a national party. Okay, that makes sense. It's sometimes it's easier to uh, achieve things locally at the state and then grow them out that way versus trying to, you know, topple the federal government and, and work your way down. It's, it, it seems like a good idea. Um, I want to talk about you mentioned the minor major party thing there for a second. Um, so the threshold in Washington state is 5%. I know it's different for each state in the union. Some places is six percent. Some places have different rules, what have you. But the key here, and I and I know the Green Party has struggled with this for decades, right? They want to get above that six percent uh, uh, federal threshold because they're constantly trying, um, having to renegotiate ballot access in some states, right? Every time there's a uh, you know presidential election to run uh, a presidential candidate, they have to get the you know put the petitions out, get the signatures again in some of the states because they're not. Um, they haven't met that thro threshold. So it, why is it so difficult? Like really, when you think about it, five or 6% isn't a big group of, of people. And really, there's so many disenfranchised voters in the country, you, you would think it would be easier to gain that, uh, that percentage, but it's, it's, always, it's always a struggle. What are your thoughts in that area? You know, I really think this is a, a, a this is an example of successful messaging by the duop, right? Mm -hmm. This is, this is a, you know, the whole blue, no matter who narrative, um, the idea that you're wasting your vote on a third party candidate when, when as long as we have this plurality voting system, as long as we're dealing with the first past the post system, mm -hmm. the reality is that right. every vote above the plurality just counts as plus one, right? That's truly wasting your vote. Like in so, California in the last, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, I actually would like, Mark, I would like you to explain to people what plurality voting is versus ranked choice voting, because um, I know a lot of people will be listening to that and they'll be like, what's plurality voting? And what's the alternative, ranked choice voting? Ranked choice voting, and I've I've become a star voting proponent myself, and I'm happy to okay. go into that. Yes, please. <laughs> no, I mean this is informative. People, you know, they need to have the access to this type of information because our voting system is so complex in this country. For a democracy, we're a mess. <laughs> we we are, and it's yeah. No, I think it's 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 absolutely deliberate manufactured complexity that is designed. Yeah. You know, we're not designed for necessarily a parliamentary system, but. We could right. be more parliamentary. I agree. <laughs> right? we I agree. Like many, many parties, you know, when you're in a, so we, you know, we have two major parties. We're by, uh, 
not bicameral, that's the uh, Congress. I can't think of the word for it, but we're a two-party system, basically. And a parliamentary system has, you know, a robust array of parties, six, seven sometimes. And oftentimes they are so busy competing for votes, they have to form coalitions with it, with each other in order to gain um, a majority to get somebody, you know, in, of, of their choosing as prime minister, what have you. Uh, some people would argue that that system's a little bit less stable than ours is, but you know that's okay in my opinion. Sometimes having a more robust democracy isn't going to be stable, right? What's what they call that democracy is mob rule kind of a thing. Maybe a little mob rule is okay uh, because right now we've sort of turned into a corporate platonomy where the average American has very little say in what happens in the government. Right. Let's, but let's also remember, I mean, so, so we came about like, we hit the plurality about messaging and right. So we're, we're a capitalist system and I hate to use those buzzwords because I'm not looking to <laughs> help develop a far left party. Right. But right. we are a system that was developed with the intention of acquiring and consolidating capital assets. Mm -hmm. Right. And, okay. and we, from the very beginning, we treated the 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 people who already existed in the places where where European society came as less than human, so that we could acquire their capital assets, treat them as capital assets, and acquire their land and their resources. And 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 Western society does that even now, ultimately in Ukraine, right? Like there's a lot of positioning, a lot of broken promises, but ultimately we got money at play here mm -hmm. oil yeah. money energy money and the military, military industrial, industrial, industrial complex money. boom <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah i'm not trying to use like like socialist and 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 that sort of gain right but, gotcha. um but you know from the very beginning the tyranny of the masses was rich white men recognizing that they were exploited. a minority <laughs> They were exploding the majority minority. of people. Yeah. And that if they True. actually let everyone fucking have their, oops, I'm sorry, if they let everyone. No, go ahead. Let an F-bomb fly. It's, it's completely understandable in this context. <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that, that's, that, so that's all messaging. If, if, if yeah. everyone was truly had a say, they were going to take our shit, man. We can't have that. We can't have the tyranny of the masses. <laughs> right. So, um, and so it's the same thing, right? So plurality voting is, this concept that you might not even get a majority, that you might not be popular right. enough that you can even convince most of the people. So rather just say, well, if you get the most votes of the people running and, and plurality is even written into code in many states, right? There's some places where ranked choice voting is illegal because they have plurality voting written into the code that, that the successful candidate will have a plurality of the vote. Um, but what that means is that when you have a small portion of the electorate who participates, as we do, and you can then radicalize, and as long as you can keep things to a two-party system, you don't have to, to get along. Right? It's, it's a radicalizing influence where those who are the most vocal and can play to their base can help swing elections because you don't have to get a majority you don't have to find ways to work with people like you do in a parliamentary system or in some other voting systems. Um, you can instead 
win elections and claim a mandate to govern when 26% of the electorate, for example, votes for you. Um, a ranked choice system, on the other hand, allows you to rank all the candidates on the ballot in order of preference, and then it has multiple rounds of counting where they keep throwing out the lowest ranked person. So whoever right. gets the fewest votes gets thrown out and we redistribute the votes. Uh, mm -hmm. Some of the issues with it is it's you know, got a lot of complex algebra involved. Right. And, and there are some questions whether it hits the Supreme Court threshold of, of, of one person, one vote. And I forget the case that, that is at issue there. Um, and then there's an, a system like STAR voting, and STAR stands for, uh, 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 what does STAR, uh, scored, then instant runoff, or then automatic runoff. Score, then oh, automatic okay. runoff. So the idea with STAR voting is that uh, it combines a primary and a general in a single vote. And so it's like an open primary where everyone is on the ballot, and you rank them, you assign them a score of one to five stars, or you don't score them at all, and that's a zero. And then you have a runoff where you go through and count up all the stars and the two top star getters, you then count them again and find out between each ballot, which of the top two do they prefer. Um, so it's just, it's a two counts and it has some pretty high uh, uh, satisfaction ratings. Oregon has got some movements to implement it. Um, okay. And, and there is a group that I am working with called the uh, 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 Equal Vote Coalition, um, and, and they are trying to do what Fair Vote has done also and try to popularize star and um, uh, uh, approval voting, which is yet another method. And they have both star and approval because depending on how your voting code is written in your state, right. one or the other is going to be more in alignment with your state. Um, and so your preference is star or, or this other one? My preference is star. I was a long time okay. approval voting fan until I came across star. And there's some, uh, some, some really interesting stuff out of the election science, uh, 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 election science center, center for election science. That's what they're called. They're up there in San Francisco area, I think. And, uh, uh there's a lot of people in the equal vote coalition out of, uh, Texas and star voting, uh, 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 organization out of, uh, Oregon. Um, Sarah Wolk, I think is the, the head of that. And, uh, uh Saston in Texas is handling a lot of the equal vote just to shout out some of the people who are doing the work on the ground. Um, so, so sorry, got me off into my, my, my voting. No, that's uh, good. It's very informative. I had not heard of star voting before. So this is, that actually does seem a little bit more democratic, um, and less convoluted than ranked choice. Although, Ranked choice has been able in the areas that where it's been instituted to produce a better uh, democracy. I know, for example, Chase Boudin would not have won his election in San Francisco if it hadn't been a ranked choice uh, ballot where they'd gone through those those measures. So yeah. People's Party of Washington, we've got uh, we, we 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 had a fair, fair vote. Washington had a bill in. Uh, in committee this last year and uh, last year and we you know came out and supported it we we issued statements and we urged our members to uh, call their local representatives because even though i personally prefer star voting and our party has star voting in its bylaws um 
anything's better than plurality. Anything's better than what we've got now. And, and we can't be successful in changing this system as, as minor parties for sure without changing some of the conditions on the ground that make the duopoly so entrenched, right? Without changing the way we elect people, without addressing the amount of money in politics, it's going to be very hard to make those changes. Um, you know, you were talking about the signature requirement in some places. And like New York, the Greens aren't even, don't have signature or ballot access in New York anymore. They changed the rules so that the bigger you are and the more money you've got, essentially, the smaller your requirements are. Um, in New York, I think the major two parties to get presidential ballot access is like. Wow, seven. are you serious? That's insane. That is the opposite of what should be happening. Yeah, yeah. No, the two major parties need wow. 7,500 signatures to get ballot access for president. Um, a minor party needs 15,000 signatures and an independent body needs 45,000 signatures. It's uh, So if you're small and up and coming like the New York People's Party group is, they would That's, need to get 45,000 signatures. Wow. To, I mean, they are really threatened by this idea of democracy, aren't they? I mean, really, the two, the two major parties, the Democrats and the Republicans, it's amazing yeah. what they will do to maintain their power hold on the country. It's, it's almost as if they couldn't face uh, succeed if they had to face like real yes. democracy. I think that that's probably true. I mean, we've seen that. I think, I think if anything, Bernie Sanders campaign sort of made that clear, uh, you know, for a lot of folks. Yeah, no, I, I think so. And I, um, I have opinions about what Bernie should have done. But I will say that in 2016, he had a moment and he truly did wake people up. And, um, and it's, it's up to us. And, and the one I was not super thrilled with him running in 2020, I think, thought that his moment had passed. Um, but the slogan in 2020, the, the not me, us, is sort of a, the right slogan. It's the right message because... Mm -hmm because it can't be him. He's not going to, you know, I sort of agree with Chris Hedges on, on, on Bernie's positioning. Like he's got a career and the Democrats are very good about being a, I know he's not officially a Democrat, but you know, the system is very good about rewarding both uh, 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 not just trying to make sure you play the game and, and it has lots of obfuscation built in to make sure that you can safely do so. But, you know, Democrats yeah. specifically reward seniority. Um, no, you're not wrong, Mark. I mean, I think really what, what really kind of solidified that was seeing what happened on Super Tuesday in the 2020 campaign. Uh, the first few primaries, Bernie Sanders was burning up. Um, I was on the road actually following the campaign. And I thought, wow, this guy might actually have a chance of winning this thing. Like, wow, people are really turning out for him. He, I mean, the, the Nevada primary was just amazing. Like I was in that Bellagio caucus room and 90% of the room went and stood in Bernie Sanders corner. Like there was no competition at all. So, you know, the Democratic Party obviously saw that that was happening and, and did what they had to do to stop it, you know, telling other candidates to drop out, telling others to solidify behind Biden. I mean, the what happened behind closed doors in response to that was just massive. So um, and it shows you like how strong their machinations are and how much power they have. So I don't know, you know, it's going to be uh, really tough to get around that.
even with a third party. Well, it's going to be devastatingly difficult. And because yes, and um, it's absolutely necessary. You know, the reason yeah. that we can't reform the Democratic Party. Well, that's going to be my next question. Why a third party and why not trying to reform the Democratic Party? Or for that matter, Mark, for that matter, why not even try to reform the Green Party? That's a great question. Those are those, and those are two separate questions. And they are and two separate. So, <laughs> see the Green Party question all over Twitter right now, right? Especially as we have states separating from MPP, you can't you can't hit one of those threads where a state announces okay. it without the Greens being all over. Like, well, why not just? <laughs> why maybe not they're just? maybe they've reached the point where they're a little bit threatened too. You know. <laughs> um. Yeah, I think they are, but but don't be mistaken. I don't think they're threatened by by any other incipient movement, right? I, right. <laughs> I think they're threatened by the fact that the the establishment is shutting down the other avenues. Um, okay. For, for I moving see. forward, um, right, and and knowing that 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 they need more now, and growth has not been great. Okay, so I mean, I'll come back to greens. Democrats. I don't yeah, believe Democrats. Let's talk about the Democrats. <laughs> I don't believe they're reformable. And I don't okay. believe they're reformable because in the in the bottom line, at this point, Democrat money is corporate money. And so mm -hmm. anyone who wants to yeah. say that they're not gonna take corporate money, like you can't be a Democrat and not take corporate money. Um, okay. You and and their money, they have so much control. I mean, look at what happened in Nevada when the DSA took control of yeah. the, the local party, right? right? They because once once you report your shit to the <laughs> to the FEC as opposed to the IRS, once you have fucking candidates, it's a goddamn free for all as far as the money is concerned. And yeah. so you know, they just pulled all the money out and threw it in a different in a, in a national committee and and threw you Nevada. We're not going to let you have any money if you're going to not. Yeah, that was really insane. A hundred percent. That's exactly what they did. Um, and so people like the squad, and I'm not going to attack them. I think it is. You know, I think people who get into office wanting to change things convince themselves, and rightly so, in almost every case, that their constituents are better off with them in office than with whoever their opponent is. Right. Uh, in the primary, right? And that's, that's legitimate. And once you are in office, you have a job representing the interests of the people in your district. And I understand that. And the Democratic Party is built with such seniority in place and they are i'm going to use the word neoliberal but i want to talk about that for a second but they're neoliberal bullies <laughs> and and yeah. and i want to um you know and i want to talk about the neoliberal part of that because a lot of people think that a lot of people don't realize it's an economic term right then it's about new economic liberalism and economic liberalism is laissez-faire capitalism That's right. and it's about yeah. letting money Right, letting money do anything. That's and exactly what the Clintons put into the Democratic Party. Third way, uh, Bill Clinton's third way was exactly that: is neoliberalism, and it is a political economy about exactly what you're saying. Not only laissez-faire, but I would go one step further and say that it's the market becomes the moral arbiter, 
which it should, that should like make everybody's hair stand on end that that's even a philosophy, but it's been with us, you know, um, since God, you know, turn of the century of last century. So it's, it's an older, older thought process, but it really came into its own under uh, third wave politics. And it was a terrifying shift when it went just from actual economics, where instead of letting truly the market decide, you, you had the whole concept of, oh, that's too big to fail. That's, we, we, need, we need the government to intervene on behalf of capital, right? As opposed to just hands off. It's now the, market, the government's intervening on behalf of capital. And once, once it became the moral arbiter, once we had that shift to that neoliberal view of profit is what makes right, not just in economics, but in politics, we became, that, that is when Democrats lost their ability to look out for people. They always care about profit more than people and have since we had that shift in morality. And so as a result, the Democratic Party, which is an expressly neoliberal party, it expressly wants to intervene on behalf of the wealthy. It likes its messaging is that it's for the people, but its express policy is we are going to intervene in markets on behalf of the wealthy so they have seniority in place. The wealthy yeah. purchase them. And, and you know, you- Mark, can I just interject here? You know, really, I think it's important to mention that I agree with everything you're saying right now, and it's absolutely true. The unfortunate <laughs> reality is that the GOP is no better or different. They might actually be worse. In this oh, regard. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, I, I would not, I would say I use Democrats because that is the team that at least pretends to be for the people. Oh, 100%. I mean, it's just really, it's crazy to me that this is the state of affairs in the United States of America, but it really is. There's, there is two parties, but they're both corporate owned party parties full of bot Congress folks and all kinds of um, corrupt power plays. It's, there's absolutely nobody in this country right now politically serving the average American. No, no. And that's, and that's why, you know, because I, I was not a political organizer before I got involved in this in this movement. And I'm just a carpenter, electrician. I'm a, you know, I'm an IATSE union stagehand. Um, uh, uh, but we, but I needed something like the, the Democrats wouldn't even put a fifteen dollar an hour minimum wage. I live in the greater Seattle area. That's that's not that's not a living wage. Minimum wages aren't living wages. A living wage, in no. my opinion. Yeah. Ought to be the amount it takes a single full-time worker to support themselves and two dependents in the area where they work. Like, yeah, that, I'm going to say 30. Wage. Seattle uh, is, you know, like Los Angeles. You can't live on minimum wage. You need 30 an hour to just get by. Yes. I, I mean, it. 30 an hour is not an exaggeration on what you would need to pay rent and buy food. I just, it's crazy to me that like they're saying fight for 15 and it's like that ship sailed. Yeah, yeah. Rural, rural North Dakota, fifteen dollars yeah, exactly. is a living wage, but not nowhere anywhere. Else. Yeah, hundred percent. So this <laughs> this idea that five for that, like when they bring it up now, when Democrats say that and they can't even do that, it's like, are you serious? You can't even do the fight for fifteen, which would be tiered in anyway. So if they even pass that legislation, you actually wouldn't even see a fifteen dollar minimum wage for you know three or four years. It's obscene. It absolutely is. And that was what made me start doing political organizing, quite frankly, because okay. we needed a party that was for the people, that gave people a direct voice, quite frankly. Um, mm-hmm. 
and I could talk about <laughs> our, our dynamic deliberative democracy model and our horizontal structure forever because I'm sort of a geek about that shit. But instead, I'm going to talk about why not the <laughs> Greens also. <laughs> yeah, why not the Greens also? Because, uh, you know, they're they're the sort of the outlying leftist third party that's been there for decades, uh, but they can't seem to get they can't get to that 6%, that golden 6%. And it seems crazy to me that this is, I mean, I obviously the duopoly has total control over the population. They've convinced most Americans that if you vote for a third party, you're voting for a spoiler candidate and it's going to be your fault if the other guy from the other team wins. I mean, that, that, that is certainly ingrained in the American psyche at this point. Um, however, somebody has got to like break that, you know, that, that, uh, that wall. I mean, it's it's got to be taken down at some point. God, I hope I hope we're the ones to do it. I got to tell you, <laughs> we might not be, but I, you know, I, you know, I think you're right, and and I think it's messaging. Like, if we can somehow get people to understand that that the plurality voting, which mm-hmm. we talked about earlier, like once you've got past the plurality, everything else doesn't count. Like, in I don't remember the numbers anymore, but in in California, I think in the 2016 election, I'm not going to remember, but like it had 4 million extra votes for Clinton, right? Like Clinton won by 4 million votes. She needed to win by one. Right. 3,999,999 votes all counted <laughs> yeah. as plus one. Uh, so right. that's, that's truthfully wasting your vote. Like if you want your vote, yeah, to Jill really Stein count. was not a spoiler. It's so wild to me that people still say that, uh, you know, and the other thing that happens, and um, I do want to get back to the green party, but the other thing that happens with um, that argument is that there's an assumption that's being made. Uh, and that assumption is that all of those votes that Jill Stein had would have gone to Hillary Clinton. If Jill Stein had not been running for president. And I don't think, that's true. I think that's a very bad assumption. I think it's a very poor assumption. And, you know, I think the same thing with like the Bernie primary, some ended up going to Trump. Some are like me. Yes, that absolutely did happen. I mean, anyone that thinks that some Bernie voters didn't turn around and vote for Trump are very much mistaken. So, so the assumption that, that, uh, you know, the the Democratic Party candidate is automatically going to hoover up all of those votes is just misguided. The Democrats are not entitled to my vote. You'll have people like me who, I I was a Green Party voter for twenty years. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so then quite, you can speak a- directly as to why not the Green Party. <laughs> <laughs> I, you are I can uniquely I, yeah. qualified. I was a Green Party voter for twenty years. I and I've watched them get fewer and fewer percentage of the vote. And so I think two things happened. I think I saw in 2020, I began to see internal machinations within the party that felt very DNC-like, that were disenfranchising to various state members and uh, uh, various state organizations, um, primaries that were not. So, and and a lot of the backroom dealing. Um, And again, as I expressed earlier, wanting to give people a direct voice, wanting to have a direct voice was one of my motivations. Um, so I saw some of that stuff happen and I have watched the Greens decline in vote share for decades and I have opinions as to why that is happening. 
And so I just decided I voted for Howie. My, my 2020 ballot, in fact, the only vote I cast, well, I was actually going to be completely honest. I ended up not vote. I did vote, but I failed to sign my ballot and I didn't bother to cure it. So <laughs> <laughs> that was like enough is enough moment, huh? <laughs> well, because what I wrote on my ballot, because uh, uh, Washington is all handwritten mail-in ballots, I voted for Howie Hawkins for president, and then I wrote in every other line, none represent me. And that was how okay. I turned my ballot in. So, so when, I, when they notified me that I hadn't signed it, by then we already knew that Howie got like 1% or less. It was, like, yeah, there was, just it was a really amount small amount compared to Jill Stein, yeah. Yeah, it, it just wasn't, wasn't worth it to me to bother curing my ballot. Um, and and because I had sort of made the commitment that I was never going to vote for Democrats or Republicans ever again for any level of office. Like I, I'm organizing a new party, but I'm not going to play your fucking electoral game anymore. I'm done with that shit. So, um, so the you other. Know, and I also too, think. Let me ask you this, Mark. I I also think part of that decline in uh, Green Party votes, and I'm curious to know what your opinion is on this, was also that that Trump was so terrible, right? I think a lot of people didn't necessarily cast a vote for Biden. I don't think Biden was well-loved at all. He was the worst out of the uh, Democratic Party candidates. Like he was coming in last all the time until all of the party machinations. But I do think people voted against Trump. I think um, there was a real sense of, we got to get that guy out of office um, with a lot of folks that are both independent and Democrats. Uh, Do you think that that's the case? I think that, that was largely the case. I think that okay. you know, we got real successful messaging in this country yeah. and yeah. Like watching the March to war happening here is, is shocking how quick. Um, yeah. Because, you know, again, we talked about it being about money and in the final analysis, you know, the things that like Fox news and the wall street journal and CNN right. and MSNBC all have in common is they're owned by really, really fucking rich guys who That's have true. a vested interest in, in yeah. oh, shit. Are you there? Okay. I'm have, here. Yeah. Have, <laughs> no worries. Have a vested interest in keeping us fighting with each other and keeping the system such that they can continue to extract money from it. Right. So now that's uh, so that's when, exactly what is it? It's it, the extract wealth. Uh, the one percent has been successfully extracting wealth from the ninety nine percent for decades now. Um, and I do so think when, people are more awake and in tune with that. Uh, here's the thing, though: uh, how that comes out with each individual is different in the sense that you have some people that turn to fascism as a response to that. I think fascism always arises when there's extreme wealth and uh, uh, income inequality. Um, We have a history of that and other people do what you're doing. Right. So it's not necessarily, um, you know, a a unified response, unfortunately, to to that kind of a thing. I do think which worries me, obviously. I mean, we don't need an increase in neo-nationalist fascism in a country that's also very damaging. Um, but I worry that unless income inequality is adequately addressed, that that's going to happen. I think whatever comes next after Trump is far worse. Mm. And I, th- I think you're 100% right. And it's, you know, I, I tell people, uh, you know, I'm organizing with all the time that I think we're in the eye of the fascist storm right now. Yeah, it's 100% so, we are. Um, it's so critical for us to start. The reason I got involved in politics political organizing was I needed to organize my community for survival. And, mm-hmm. um, we, we've got to, we can't make the mistake that, uh, 
previous attempts have made uh, of, of not being prepared. We've got to make sure we start building that network and communication yeah. so that when Democrats are lambasted in 2022 and when yeah. a new fascist comes yeah. into power, like, we're, that's, we're you know, I mean, I, I chuckle just because it's like, yeah, it's a nervous laugh. I do think that's a possibility. I think it's a very real possibility. Um, well, and it's why I think we're in a, a, a moment of political realignment, quite frankly, mm-hmm. because I okay. think you're right about uh, economic inequality always providing a rise of fascism. And that's because the rich guys, the bosses, need us to fight each other. That's why racism is always used as a tool of capital. That's right. And and that's why policing is essentially a group. God damn, I'm going to use all those words. But, you know, a group of class traders. There's nowhere else in Seattle you can get a job with a high school diploma and make a quarter million dollars a year. Right. There's a reason you have to pay people to be willing to torture and brutalize their communities. And you have to make sure they're yeah. not their communities. They have to live somewhere else. Right. So that they right, can. Right. Right. That's part of the problem. We see people as the other. <laughs> it's, uh... it's the othering. That's right. Yeah. We see a lot of othering mm-hmm. in policing. Um, let's get back to the Green Party, though, because I do want to know why not the Green Party. You are. It's easy to digress into sidebar conversations with you, Mark. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because I will yeah, follow I right along with you. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, so the Green Party, I, you know, I'm a self-identified eco-socialist, right? Because, and, and I would have identified probably for most of my younger life as a, once I became aware of the terms as like an anarcho-syndicalist, but, okay. um, but uh, the climate catastrophe uh, and how uh, capital is just destroying our planet for, for profit um, has, has, I do not believe that there are, um, I believe that any successful solution is going to require national and multinational intervention. I don't. Uh, we are at the right. point now where you need economically sovereign entities to be willing to put themselves on a wartime footing to combat the destruction that that we've we've wrought at this point. Yeah. So, so I've moved more toward eco socialism. So you would think then that I would be perfectly aligned with the Green Party's platform, and personally, I am. However. Their branding is bad. And okay. in another 20 years, we'll be in enough of a shit's creek that the Green Party is likely to um, have then the right message, even though it's currently got the right platform to try to help save the fucking planet. I agree. Yeah. Um, but Green has both been co-opted by corporations looking to to to, to cash in on the... the environmental movement of the 60s, 70s, 80s, right? Um, right. And, and it's been demonized by the Republican Party and those who have been expressly for profit over people as opposed to those who are just implicitly over uh, for profit over people. Um, and, and, and here's something that a, a, a friend of mine who I argue with a lot, Ivan, I'm sorry, I argue with you so much, man. Um, uh, (laughs) one of the guys I organized with um, but he's got and he identifies more populist and I I, a lot of the people in our movement identify more progressive I identify more populist because I'm sort of anarcho and I believe in community uh, uh, self-governance okay uh, but or and (laughs) Um, 
And I agree with you that because capital uses fear and divisiveness to continue to extract from us, as resources get tight and as economic inequality grows, they need to continue to stoke fear and divisiveness in order to keep us from recognizing who the real thieves are and turning on them. And so by successfully stoking fear, you can then fascism, right, is corporate, right, corporate government, like government for the corporations. And that's essentially what neoliberalism is too. Neoliberalism is very ready to become fascist. And if you can make people afraid of their neighbors because their neighbors are desperate and you can successfully identify that desperate people sometimes do desperate things and you can brainwash people to believe that we can't brutalize prison the desperate people rather than making them not desperate, fascism will always arrive. Mark, there's some weird audio thing going on with you. Probably my hand cupping my microphone wrong. Is it better now? Oh, way better. Yes. Okay. So uh, pick it up with desperate people do desperate things. Right, right. Um, so when you can convince people that, that uh, yeah, I don't know. So desperate people, yeah, desperate people do desperate things. And when you can convince the population, brainwash the more comfortable that the proper solution to desperate people doing desperate things is that you need to brutalize them, sweep them, drive them out, imprison them. Fascism is always the result. Um, and I think that that is why we as a third party movement, as a leftist movement, as a progressive movement, need to embrace populism because we are in a populist moment. Economic inequality is such that populism is happening nationwide. And the left can either learn to harness it or fascism will. Right? So Yeah, no, so, I mean, so what do you say to, that's a good point. What do you say to folks that automatically think of populism as being exactly that, as, as being a fascist right-wing sort of thing? What exactly, how do you find leftist populism versus that? So yeah, so I would say leftist populism uh, well, we shouldn't use shouldn't use leftist populism. I'm not sure leftist populism actually exists. Um, okay. But real pop, but but you know, and I so populism is that tyranny of the masses, and you absolutely need rules in place to help protect disenfranchised communities from populism at times because it is so easily harnessed by fear. But in reality, populism should be democracy. You ask people what it is they want and need, and then you try to provide that. And so I think what a progressive populist party should look like and how we on the left need to develop that is we need to really focus on solidarity okay. and compromise. We need to get to, because on the left, we're so used to having to do it by ourselves. And that sort of engenders because we've got so little time and so little capacity and we're fighting such big fights that people focus down. And as a result, yeah. people end up fighting a lot in no, do it my way. No, my thing is so important. And so that's why I use yes. And cause yes, your thing is important and we need to do many fights. And 
We need to learn to stand with each other. We need to learn to fight together to stand with each other's fight for liberation because we all deserve liberation, not just because it's going to get our thing done. Um, if we can learn solidarity on the left, and if we can learn how to fight for each other and compromise, like we all have lots of leftist issues. And so if we can learn to do populism amongst ourselves and choose the leftist issue that gets 90% approval, and, and we all agree that we're going to focus on those two or three issues that get 90% approval among us and train ourselves to fight for each other in solidarity, then when we are ready to welcome the masses that we will need to build the network to welcome, we'll be trained for solidarity, we'll be prepared to compromise, and we'll be used to focusing on the top two issues. If a populist party truly focuses on issues that get 85 plus percent approval, those will be progressive issues. A lot yeah. of issues are misbranded as populism when they are in fact libertarian or even far right, right? Because we have the branding of the wealthy elite, always yeah. misguiding people. That's fair. So, that's fair, so that's, actually. So that's why I would say that like real populism tends to truly be progressive because it has such wide approval. And that's okay. what I'm hoping to help build in a people's party is a party that has such wide approval that I, as a pretty far left radical anarcho uh, eco-socialist, won't feel comfortable there. Like, but that will be fine. If we actually have a party that represents people's interest over profits, I can go back to my niche environmentalism and grumble on Twitter and just go back <laughs> to trolling people. That would be great. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, I mean, it'd be, it'd be good to get back to simpler times uh, when this stuff wasn't as crazy as it was. And, you know, it, I have to say, uh, this has happened in my lifetime. I know we've been on, you know, that road, I'd say, since the uh, early 70s. But, you know, when I was in college in the 90s, I was making a part-time job. I was making $16 an hour. My rent, I think, was like 750 bucks uh, for a two-bedroom. And my tuition was still more or less funded by the state of California. I went to UC school. And so you could do that, right? I didn't have to take on any student debt. And I could work part-time at this job because it paid enough. I mean, the difference between that, that spot and where we are now is huge. And these kids are just struggling because they don't have the same um, access to what we did at that time. It's it's unfair. Um, and we gave that away. Like this is stuff we gave when, like, for example, when Bernie Sanders talks about, uh, you know, financing public education when it comes to universities, we had that once. My UC tuition was $450 a quarter. That's it. Now it's, you know, an insane amount of money because we definanced the university system. We chose to do that, right? So um, all of these things, again, you're, you know, it's, it's the wealth extraction that you're talking about, but, but the majority of the population has been complicit in it, whether they chose to be or not, right? Whether they knew they were being complicit because we voted on these measures. We defunded the university, university system when we voted on Prop 13, for example. That's just, that was going to be an inevitable outcome of that. Ah, frustrating, you know, right? It's super frustrating, and and especially because I believe it's done deliberately. Like you don't need to have yeah. big conspiracies for rich people to protect their money and interests. 
No, they're already in a power position. So it's actually easier for them to do that. It's sort of like, uh, you know, when Chomsky talks about the concentration of wealth and power, when you have wealth, you have access to power. And then when you have more power, you have access to more wealth. It's like a tightening circle, right? And it's just getting tighter and tighter and has been for a couple of decades. And, and, and it will only get worse. Um, Unless we stop them. Yeah. Well, I mean, even if we fight, even if we stopped it all tomorrow, like at this point, we've done so much damage, it's going to get worse. But, oh, I agree. Like, I mean, I mean, we have to, we have to replace um, so many things that we got rid of starting with. Honestly, we need a $30 minimum wage. And anybody listening to this that thinks $30 an hour is a crazy wage is, come on, man, really? That's what you need to survive in LA. I know that. You're not living well, high on the hog at $30 an hour. You're not. I, I think, honestly, I'm of the opinion that we need to stop putting dollar amounts on it. And rather, we need to make it a ratio about the cost of living okay, in any fair. particular zip code because that okay. also gives municipalities multiple avenues to deal with it. They can increase property oh, taxes. Oh, yeah, and that's live. good. Yeah, 100%. Give them, we need to give local municipalities more power in that regard. I, I don't disagree, including uh, also rent stabilization and rent control. Absolutely, yeah. So if it doesn't cost as much to live, and to buy groceries and to get around, then you don't need as much money, right? Fair. So yeah, that's fair, one hundred percent. So let me ask you this, Mark: You guys are going to be. My understanding is you're going to be running some candidates um, as People's Party candidates in 2022. Is that the case? That is the case. Now I'm going to give you the qualifier. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the qualifier is that in Washington State. You don't run candidates like you do in many states. In Washington state, uh, I mean, okay, so all candidates have to form their own candidate committees, right? Running yeah. candidates, uh, since we don't have real party registration in Washington, okay, you can run any way you want. So a candidate could run, if I wanted to run for state legislature, for example, and I probably will, I think I'm going to be one of the candidates. Um, I could run and say, I prefer the Oscar the Grouch party. And that's what the state will put on the ballot here. So the, the party doesn't have to exist. Now, <laughs> All right. Oscar the Grouch party it is. <laughs> right. Washington is truly the Wild West. That's, you know, we were way I didn't realize that. Way. Interesting. Yeah, it's, we are. And, and like, so for my, for my state uh, house run that I intend to make, uh, we don't have to file until May, so so I'm okay. not officially there yet. Um, but in Washington, so I'm going to do this the funny way. My 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 ballot access requirement. I'm going to need to gather 576 signatures. Okay. Um, I'm going to shoot for 750 or 800, uh, just in case you know some get invalidated. Right, um, right. That always happens. But in actuality, I could just pay the 576 dollar fee. In Washington, oh, okay. filing fee is one percent of the uh, uh, of the position's annual salary, and you may replace that fee dollar per signature. So oh, if you want to okay. gather signatures, gather signatures, and you can have ballot access without paying a dime. If you don't want to gather signatures, drop some money in. Um, so we intend to run several of us in our party as state representatives in the primary. Uh, I don't know that we'll get to the top two. Uh, we're new. We've only been, we, we have not even had our, uh, uh, our, our legal status. I think we 
filed with the uh, Secretary of State May 9th, and we filed with the IRS like May 28th. So we we will be at our year anniversary when we file for Canada. Okay. Uh, and so I don't know that we'll win any of those races. I don't know that we'll even get to the um, get to the general ballot. But if we do get to the general ballot, that's when the FEC will recognize us as a state party when we okay, get state candidates to the ballot, I believe. And we have started talking with a congressional candidate um, for, for a U.S. Con congressional seat. And uh, if, if uh, we vet him and he agrees, um, we might be running someone for, for U.S. Congress as well. And if he happens to get to the general, that's when the FEC would recognize us with a, uh, okay. uh, as nationally. Like, that's, that's how we need to get our, our recognition. Sorry about that. That's how we need to get our recognition uh, with the FEC, I think, actually. Like, they will, okay. they will recognize us as a local party. I think if we get someone in the state on the ballot, I could be wrong. But for sure, if we get someone in the general who recognizes us. So we're planning to run those people locally. Because if nothing else, honestly, in Washington, I can get the People's Party of Washington name in thousands or tens of thousands of households for a few hundred dollars. There's not going to be a cheaper advertising campaign. Right, right. Um, and you mentioned this earlier about when you're talking about plurality voting and talking about training people, potentially, that people have to realize that their vote is not wasted. So we've been talking about a strategy here in Washington. <laughs> because, again, Wild West, I think what we need to get a presidential candidate on the ballot here is to have a state convention. I think we only need a thousand people to attend. Okay. To nominate a presidential candidate in the state. So and let me ask you this though, Mark, running a presidential Washington candidate. Are you there? I think I lost you. I am. Yes. Go ahead. Oh, you are. Uh, For I'm some reason your audio. You. Okay. Your audio got a little wonky there and it sounded like you disappeared. Um, okay. a president, let's, I, I want to talk about this. A presidential candidate. What would be the point of running a presidential candidate in only one state? Um, because obviously this person could never be president. What, I mean, you're going to get pushback on that. What is your response uh, to the folks that are saying, why would you do that? Because you're right. We yeah. will get pushed back. Oh, you will definitely get, <laughs> definitely get pushed back on that. And, and we'll see if it's a successful or if it's a worthwhile strategy. Successful, I'm not sure I care about because I'm, I'm a big multi-pronged approach guy. Um, mm -hmm. Washington route, it, it's part of our hopeful campaign to uh, achieve major party status. You know, I Washington see. routinely votes uh, in presidential with 15% margin for the Democrats. So if we can- Oh, that's a pretty large margin. Okay. Pretty large margin. And you need a 5% vote threshold to become a major party. So if we run someone in the state with the campaign that it's just in Washington, they're not going to win. But if you want a real choice next time, all we need is 5% of the vote and you'll have three major parties in Washington next presidential election. So if you okay. want a real vote, if you want a real choice, if you weren't planning to vote anyway, vote for our candidate and next time you get a real vote. And so will, it, will we be able to pull away enough people? Will we be able to activate a new people who want change? 
I don't know. Well, that's it, isn't it? I think you're right about, I mean, so not enough people vote in our elections in this country. And there's there's an entirely large untapped population of non-voters out there. And I think uh, going after those votes is a good thing. You know, it's certainly not going to hurt. And, and, and quite frankly, nothing will terrify the top two more than to suddenly have an upstart out of nowhere gain major party status in a state. You want to, you want to see, you want to see the establishment tremble. And that's my argument for voting, not, not wasting your plurality vote in California. You guys vote like 20% democratic. You're just not for the president. Um, you can pull 15% of those democratic still be fine and safe. Yeah. Still reliably win. But If Democrats saw 15% of the California electorate going for a third party, that would scare would, the crap out of them. <laughs> they would run to the left like they were like, yeah, the breakneck speed, right? They yeah, I definitely run. think there is a large difference between a swing state and a state like California. You're right, there is. And if you get a few of the more liberal voting states mm-hmm. to start swinging left, the pressure on the rest of them will swing left. I mean, if Democrats, okay. Democratic voters, I have no interest in reforming the, Dem- the Democratic Party. I have, I think, I'll tell you how I think it's going down in a second. But if Democratic voters want to reform the Democratic Party, then voting third party in safe states is your surest avenue. That is the best That's fair. use of your vote. They will pull them left, yeah. Um. Right now, they, I think a lot of times they think they don't have to compete uh, for votes with the progressives or their Democratic base. I think they just see these votes as earned already. And, uh, you know, so they don't concern themselves with with doing anything to earn those votes um, back because they've never lost them in their minds. So that would that's add pressure. Why they would, that's why they would. That's why they spin this whole spoiler narrative. That's why they yeah. pretend that if you vote for anyone else, you are voting for Trump. You're voting for Republicans. You're yeah, I've for- always been very bothered by that narrative. I don't think it's accurate. I think it assumes things like all those votes were automatically going to go to their candidate when that's just not the case. I think uh, vote shaming in general is just really undemocratic. And generally, if a, a candidate isn't earning votes, the problem is with the candidate. It's not with the voters. It is the candidate's job to earn votes. That is their job. That is what they need to be doing. And that's going to often entail, uh, you know, listening to the policies that they want. Like if, if you are running, I mean, and we're seeing this right now in real time in the state of California, right? So we had a, a single payer bill that was going to go through our California state legislative body. And it got pulled from the vote floor vote at the last minute. And it was done so, in my opinion, to protect the incumbent Democrats that had already planned on voting no on this. And this is a bill that is incredibly popular, not only with Democrats in the state, but also Republicans. It's just a popular bill. People want single payer health care. So um, and it would have been useful information for the progressives in the Democratic Party to know who those folks were. Right. They could primary them or they could at least lobby them to change their opinions. But but pulling that floor vote kind of protected them from people from everybody seeing who those folks were. And obviously, that's a response to their donors. Right. It's not, certainly not a response to their constituents, because this is a, a very popular piece of legislation. 
So, um, I would, yeah. I would call it a populist piece of legislation. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, it is, it, it is definitely the case that oftentimes there is a disconnect between elected officials and their constituents. And a lot of these elected officials are, are lazy. They don't think they have to do anything to earn those votes back. They, they, they're not, they're not reading the moment properly, in my opinion. So there's definitely a moment we are in right now. And vote shaming and advertising campaigns to spin the narrative are cheaper than campaigning. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> they most certainly are. They most certainly are, Mark. Um, so, uh, Mark, if people want to keep up with um, the movement for People's Party in the state of Washington, I guess not movement, I guess it's People Party. People's Party in the state of we Washington. The, we got rid yep. of the M, right? <laughs> Oh, um, we are we are the People's Party of Washington. We got the okay. acronym PAPOW, right? Uh, power to the people. <laughs> oh, that's right. Power to the people. That's a great little acronym there. Um, where should they go to keep uh, base with you guys, to touch base with you folks and keep up on news? Absolutely. So uh, we have newsletters uh, that come out twice a month, I think. Um, you can go to our website. It's peoplespartywa.org. Um and uh, if you're interested in getting involved in the larger movement, if you want to form a real people's party in your state, we have uh, friends in, uh, uh, that, are, that are registered in Texas and North Carolina and Missouri. Uh, uh, New Jersey is getting ready to file their paperwork. Wow, that's great. Um, <clears throat> um, and, and we also have people who are trying to form new political parties not with the People's Party name. We have a pretty big group um, uh, of people who don't like the People's Party name at all. And as I expressed earlier, we're trying to build a new national organization to replace the former one that does not want to build a party. Okay. And so, um, so if you want to build a new People's Party, a party of the people, regardless of what it's called, if you want to build a new party of the people in your state, we are organizing under the group, the United People's Assembly. Uh, you can okay. go to unitedpeoplesassembly.org. There are uh, uh, bodies forming of, I think we have bodies representing 18 states, as well as the Black Voices Collective, the progressive party builders who were from the draft Bernie campaign pre-MPP forming. Um, the Red Berets, Medicare for All has just joined us and they're going to be helping start our action circle. Uh, but yes, we have we have bodies in 18 states. We are spinning up our media, our tech, our action circles. And so you could also go to United People's Party uh, or sorry, uh, uh, United People's Assembly dot org. Uh, and you can follow us on Twitter at UPA underscore US or uh, People's Party underscore WA uh, on Twitter as well. Um, Excellent. I'm sure we've got I'm sure we've got Facebook accounts, but I don't Facebook, so I don't know them. Yeah. <laughs> I spend zero time on Facebook at this point as well. No, but that's really helpful. So if they go to the unitedpeoplesassembly.org, they can keep up on news, sign up for volunteer work, et cetera, et cetera. Right now it has just got our mandate. So it'll tell you what we are doing as an organization. Okay. And it's a, a sign-up list, but we just launched it three days ago. Oh, so excellent. Okay. Uh, you so just you heard it, it here, folks. You hit it, you heard it here first, folks. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. We just, we just started spinning up our tech circle this week. So we're spinning up tech, media and marketing, outreach, actions are all going to be spinning up here in the next week as we start launching more parties 
and uh, Equal Vote Coalition, uh, viability campaigns, everything we need to make a new major party of the people a reality. And we welcome all volunteers. If you want to build a local Green Party group, we will help give you resources and a platform and access to our, our lawyer uh, legal advice. If you want to do a Libertarian Party, as long as you agree with our values, we welcome all volunteers to help build and build a movement that will challenge the establishment. That's what we're about. So yes, the unitedpeoplesassembly.org will have news and updates. Right now, it's where you sign up, uh, but keep checking back with it. Okay, great. Uh, thanks for joining me, Mark. It's been a very informative discussion. I think um, learning about how third parties are built uh, you know, is is an interesting conversation. And I think it's a moment in time right now. And it might be the case that, you know, 10 years from now, there's a couple of a couple of third parties, not just, uh, you know, people's party, but there's probably going to be some popping up on the right too. I'd imagine there's a lot of disconnect out there in the uh, American population. So thanks for joining oh, yeah, me. No. Yeah, I, I appreciate the opportunity. And I think you're right. I think we're in a moment of political realignment and uh, yeah. it will look very different in 10 years. 